0: Going to start this morning. We're in Ephesians. If you're following in your Bibles, Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to start though with a video. And I remember the first time I saw this, I just thought that is such a great illustration of how we are as Christians, how we are as church. It's kind of an illustration when you see it, it's from an American. Uh, sitcom called Modern Family, okay? Anyone watch Modern Family? Anyone see? It's just, it's just a lovely series, okay? I, I think it is. It's kind of funny. It's the scrapes families get into with, and, you know, a, a kind of, uh, you know, multifaceted uh, family. And uh, the first series, we bought the, the set, and the first series ends with this scene. And uh, basically, it's just a great picture of how we want to be, as Christians, but how we really are, as, and I'll explain that in a minute. It's um, not, it's not, it's not a, it's not a Christian family in it as such. And all you really need to know to understand this is, it's at the end of the, the episode, the end of the series, which is at the end of a day or week. And um, Claire, one of the characters, who's a bit of a you know, a bit obsessive and perfectionist, um, is wanting a family photo, okay? And uh, it's, but it's on the back of all the stresses and strains of family life. Uh, that we get to this place. So, David, if we could see this, that would be great. One more time. Just so you know, I am angry with you. I knew it. Oh, damn it. It was a big day for me, and he didn't want to go because he doesn't like small talk. Would it be terribly inconvenient to just postpone this hissy fit for a few minutes? Okay, you know what? Maybe some of us don't want to take a picture today. Thank you. Yeah, and please, Claire, don't try to make Mitchell do something he doesn't want to oh, do. shut up, Cam. Okay, oh. stop it, stop it. Everyone, listen, this took me forever to put together, so I don't really care who kissed who and who's got a pimple on her head and who is wearing an outrageously inappropriate dress. We are gonna get together and act like a normal family for one-tenth of a freaking second, and we're gonna do it right now. Come on, let's go. Get your hands off of me. No, no, make me. Make me, yes. make me. Oh, uh, this is ridiculous. You're both uptight about everything. You didn't want to go to a wedding with him because you didn't want to make small talk. That's how I met Gloria. Do you remember the first thing I said to you? Yes. I like chocolate, I like fruit, but not together. You couldn't come up with that, Ivy League? And you, you would be a lot happier if you weren't so obsessed with everything being perfect. Look at us here all in white. What are we, a, a cricket team? Newsflash: life is not perfect, Claire. Now, Calm the hell down. Okay, Dad, that's great. And that's really easy for you to say, but do you think I like being like this? No, I don't. So if you have some quick and easy fix, why don't you just give it to me right now? Oh! Oh, oh! oh! <laughs> oh my God. I, I got this, baby. No, what? Did, what did you do? Now that two people are dirty. Well, Three. <laughs> okay, you know what? That's for Kitchy. Mud fight! Oh, oh, no! Oh, don't do that! Oh, No! Stop it! No! Stop it! Oh! oh get back no! No! Oh, No! Oh, No! Oh, No! No! Oh, No! Now we are. We're ready. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> hey, cheese. hey, cheese. Back in 68 when I was sweeping up hair in that barbershop, I had this mental picture of the family that if I was lucky enough one day I would end up with perfect wife, perfect kids. Guess what? I didn't get any of that. Wound up with this sorry bunch. And I'm thankful for that every day. Well, most days. I think I'm just going to go with the Elvis stuff. Okay, we'll we'll cut it there. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? I do like that. So, it's just a great picture, and I think we've got it here on the PowerPoint. It's just a great picture, I think, of family and church family. Because it's not perfect. And we can want it to be pristine and perfect, but really it's a bit mucky and it's a bit messy and we get splatted with mud every now and again. And that's a funny scene, but I have to say that in reality, family and church family disunity actually isn't funny. In fact, We live in a society, I think, suffering from very, very painful divisions between young and old, different races, Brexit remain, all of that. We just live in an increasingly fragmented society. So this idea that we have in Ephesians about being one, we're looking at the church being fit for purpose. And I want to speak this morning on oneness, unity togetherness we'll have a lot to say to society if we can get this unity right we will have an awful lot to say it is a major theme of Ephesians actually unity so we're going to have a look at this we're going to come to it especially in Ephesians 4 but I want to start in Ephesians 1 13 and 14 So we're looking at the church, particularly the subject of unity this morning. I want to start with an eschatological people, and I'll explain that in a minute. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Eschatological comes from the Greek word eschatos. It means the end or last. It's to do with the last things. What's yet to come. And what Paul says here is this, that on conversion we were sealed. We were branded, as it were. It, It was confirmed we belonged to God when we were saved. We were given the Holy Spirit, you see, as a deposit, A guarantee of what is to come. Guaranteeing, as Paul says here, our inheritance when Christ returns. But here's the eschatological bit then. In the meantime, the church is to model God's perfect kingdom now. We're to model the relationships he wants us to have now. And that is going to point ahead to what's yet to come. In that sense, it's going to be eschatological. We're going to live a life now that when people look at us, they they will see or they should be able to see what it's going to look like at that time when Christ returns and everything is brought to wholeness and fullness. So how do we model this unity? Well, Ephesians gives us some pointers. And like I say, I think this will speak, if we can get this right, this will speak to a world that is increasingly fragmented. So why is unity a goal then? Why is it so important? Well, we have an exemplary pattern for this that we're to follow. In Romans one twenty, Paul again says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What's Paul saying here? That everything that is good in the world is modelled on God. God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That God thought, how can I best make the world the best thing I can do, the kindest thing, the most exhilarating thing for humankind is that I model this world on myself. Now that may sound selfish to us, but it's not because he's giving away there all that is best in the world. So everything good in the world is derived from who God is and illustrates who he is. And as these things are seen, they glorify him. Because we look at these things and we say, ah, that's what God's like. And this includes the unity there is in his being. This includes the unity. You see, God is the only being in existence where there is unity in diversity. In fact, you have to have unity. You can only have unity where there is diversity. Follow me here. Isn't that right? I can't have unity in my being. Now, I'm sure somebody could say, well, you do in this sense. Yeah, but it's not like there's two pools or three pools here. And and this, you know, I'm getting on all right with myself at the moment. Now, sometimes we talk in that sort of language, but actually we don't mean it because we're one being. Actually, in God, there's three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And they dwell, there's diversity, but they dwell in perfect unity. And human beings in our society, we're to copy what God is like. Society is to have unity in diversity. I I googled unity in diversity. That's the diversity tree there. One tree with diversity. But of course, there's no example that perfectly illustrates what God is like. There is no other example of anything where there is unity in diversity in one being, in one thing. Only God is like that. And he's given that away to us to enjoy. God is having a whale of a time in his own being. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are blissfully happily today. God's really happy today, even if we're not. God is. He's enjoying himself. He's full of joy and he wants to give that away. He knows that relationship, when done well, is the most enjoyable thing there is. And unity in diversity, togetherness in diversity, is a wonderful thing. So he's given that away to human beings. So we're talking about the Trinity, aren't we? And we see this in Ephesians 1 to 6. Paul says this, and we'll come back to this passage, because there's bits and pieces here I'm going to come back to. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then Paul says, and it's a theme of Ephesians, oneness, oneness, oneness. There is one body and one spirit, one person of the Trinity, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, Jesus, one faith in him, one baptism, initiated into Christ, second person of the Trinity, one God and Father of all, third person of the Trinity. But they're one. There's this emphasis on one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's this emphasis on one who is over all and through all and in all. And so our oneness is wrapped up in who God is. We're to mirror who God is in our oneness, in the oneness God has for us. And society, you see, it seems to me society at this time struggles often because it unhealthily emphasises the diversity. It's as if diversity is all that matters. That's what we're to hold on to. And we've made individualism a god. Gordon Fee says this, the individual is the be-all and end-all of everything. Everything subservience of individual rights to the common good has become the new heresy to be rejected at all costs. I am—I should be allowed to be who I am and do what I want. That's my individual rights. That's, that's over-emphasizing the diversity. An individual is God. Narcissistic, meaning taking pleasure in self. Narcissistic, self-interest and self-centeredness is the chief end of life. I think he's got that right. That's what. That's what it feels like. Society is like, and we jump all over anyone who who's kind of speaks against individuals being able to express themselves exactly who they how they like. Well, there's unity to consider, and God loves diversity. Don't don't get this wrong. God loves diversity. Take a look around. We're pretty diverse. Okay, in all sorts of ways. And increasingly so here in this church. And I think it's wonderful. But it will come with challenges. So God loves diversity, but but he's instructed us to put unity over diversity. We're called to put unity. I think scripture backs this up. Put unity over diversity. And I'll say a bit more about diversity in a minute. Why? Because unity over diversity requires more love. The only way we're going to get that right unity as a priority over diversity if we love more it's what these one another's are all about in scripture and I've got a, I won't read it now but I've got a, a examples just that go through some of the one another's the word for one another is alelon and again fear said everything is done in scripture alelon it's all about the one anothering bear with one another forgive one another accept one another love one another just these one another's, one another. one another. We're not called to live the Christian life in isolation. There's to be tremendous, tremendous togetherness. And I think in our individualistic Western culture, you know, we've, we've sucked in okay, with, you know, uh, with our mother's milk, as it were, that individualistic mindset. And so we often don't realise just how individualistic we are. And yet you go to some other cultures, and we've got people here increasingly again among us, go to some other cultures, and it's all about the we, it's all about the corporate. And the challenges, you know, and and the the, adherence is to community. We don't always get that very good in Western society. And here's the thing. By preferring one another, we're more free to be diverse. By preferring one another, we're more free to be diverse. Why? Because everyone prefers that we be ourselves. Everyone then, if we're preferring one another... If, if if we're all prefer, let's take who can I take Tim Ray. If we're all preferring Tim, we're wanting him to be himself. Well, he's going to be more diverse then. He's going to be free to be himself. So when there's that love preferring one another, our, everyone wants our best, and we're more free to be ourselves. So by putting unity first and that preferring one another and that one anothering, actually, there's greater diversity. Why? Because there's greater kindness. We're all more secure in ourselves. We're all more free to be ourselves. If I'm just on a crusade to be myself and who I am, well, I'm probably going to upset some people, so I'm probably going to withdraw a bit and not be myself. But if I know I'm in a place of tremendous security, if I know that you will love me, I'm going to be more secure to be myself because I know even if I stuff up and get my white clothes dirty and I come into church with my white clothes not quite as pristine as they should be, you won't mind. I can be really relaxed then because no one's going to jump all over me. No one's going to criticise me. No one's going to have a go at me unhealthily. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll, you'll you know, help me become better with challenge, but, but you're not out to just cut me down. Could you prefer me, and the same, and vice versa. And Paul understood the invitation of challenge, sorry, Paul understood the invitation and challenge of this, holding this unity and diversity in tension. Again, Gordon Fee says this. This is Paul's understanding of church. Unity requires heterogeneous people, people who are different, to submit their diversity to the unifying work of the Spirit. Homogenous churches... Churches that are just all the same lie totally outside Paul's frame of reference. He understood we're going to be diverse as we submit ourselves to the unifying work of the Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, God gives us an enabling power, the Holy Spirit. You see, like us, the Holy Spirit's desire is to make a place for himself that feels like home. The Holy Spirit wants a place where he feels at home. You see, we can pray Holy Spirit come and Holy Spirit make yourself present and Holy Spirit you're very welcome and and Holy Spirit be yourself. But at the same time be upsetting him. (laughs) Well, no one wants to go to a house where people don't really like them and where they're not really made to feel welcome. And the Holy Spirit's the same, folks. So we've got to work at making the Holy Spirit feel at home. In Ephesians 2, 21, 22, it says this, in him, Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together in oneness, in unity, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to kick back, put his feet up, by the fire, have a coffee and feel at home. Wouldn't it be great if the Holy Spirit just felt so at home here? What would happen? You just imagine. Just think about that for a minute. The Holy Spirit felt so at home among us that he was free to be himself. There'd be such love. We'd see the miraculous because he knows he can trust himself to us. We'd see the lost saved because he knows we're going to look after them. I, I think I think we should want this more, almost than anything that the Holy Spirit feels at home amongst us. See, this is talking about the church now. We are now his temple. We're now the place God is pleased to dwell. And the Holy Spirit does this work, creates this unity. Ephesians 4.3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's the unity of the Spirit in the sense that it's the unity created by the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also, sorry, unity also makes local churches attractive to him. He creates the unity. When that unity is created, it's then attractive to him. It's it's an upward spiral, as it were. As we submit to the Spirit and his work, he creates unity and then he finds he really likes it. So he's going to be more present. Well, we'll have more unity then. You can go the other way. We can get into resistance to the spirit, to be hard to him, to be critical of one another, disunity. Well, he doesn't like that. And it gets worse because the more that happens, the less he wants to be there. And the less he's there, well, the more disunity you're going to have. And of course, this unity, as Psalm 133 tells us, is attractive to him. How good and pleasant... I should have put this up. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing, anointing. It's like oil running down on us. Well, Ephesians 4, 25 and 31, Paul describes what have been called sins of discord that threaten unity. You see, there are certain... Behaviour traits we can get stuck in. Relational sins that, that cause fractures in relationships, cause disunity, and therefore means the spirit isn't attracted. And they're summarised in verse 31. Paul says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. not a bad health check. Lord, in any way am I I guilty of these? Bitterness, it has a sense of being deep-rooted. Rage and anger. I mean, I'm not not talking so much about just kind of losing our temper every now and again, except if it's a lot, there's probably something to look at. If we underneath it all are an angry person, we probably need to look at that because that'll come out. Uh, Actually, it may not mean that you'll be shouting and screaming all the time. By the way, the word brawling there actually has a connotation of shouting. There's a lot of shouting goes on in situations around us, family situations, maybe our marriage. We need to look at that. We need to pay attention to it. But anger won't always manifest as loudness. Because I don't know about you, but I've come to understand what passive aggressive means. People who are angry, but... Yeah, I won't get angry just going to shun you and underneath it they're angry they're angry they're just they just you know they're just controlling situations by silence and playing hard to get well that's just as bad (laughs) let's not let that happen slander do we do we criticize people's character malice do we mean harm what's the effect of that well we grieve the holy spirit the holy spirit's a dove and when those things are in force, he flies away. <laughs> he doesn't like it. He really doesn't like it. Hey, listen, I know God loves us all, but it doesn't mean to say he wants to spend time with us. If we're like that, if we're going to be hard-hearted, we grieve the Spirit. We won't know the Spirit's presence. You know, we can be a bit blasé. God loves us all. Yeah, but there are things we can do to upset him. And so I, I think a lot of what Jesus talks about, about forgiveness, isn't so much you know, ultimately being forgiven. I believe I am, I am ultimately going to be forgiven on that day. doesn't mean to say I'll have walked a life with Jesus of close proximity. Because as I, as I break the relationship, as I do things that grieve the spirit, the relationship's fractured between me and Jesus. I don't mean ultimately fractured, I just mean... You know, you know some difficulty I, I don't know whether any husbands and wives have ever experienced this, where you still love each other, you're still in the same house. it's just at times. it's just a bit awkward. And friendships can be like that. Well, I think that's the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about. Let's not let that happen. Let's have loving, kind relationships, where the spirit's not grieved. Well, how does the Holy Spirit bring unity? He enables us to walk in healthy relational habits. Either side, actually, in fact, Paul sandwiches the content, the meat of Ephesians 4 with these two verses. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 32, be kind, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. You don't need to pray about these things, by the way. You just do them. We just do them. And as we say, I am going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be gentle. I'm going to be gentle. And I'm going to hold back from saying that thing that I was going to say. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind. What you find is the spirit meets you in that place and gives you grace for it. You don't want to be struck. I'd much rather be cross with them. But I'm going to choose forgiveness. I'm going to choose to accept them. I th- this person really winds me up. But I'm going to choose to give them time. And what you find is the Spirit gives you grace in that moment. You, you, won't f- you won't necessarily, you might do, but you won't necessarily feel like doing that. But at the point you step into that, the Spirit meets you. And he, and he, and he enables you. To love that person. Paul in Ephesians, not solely, but largely concentrates on unity in the church. But these habits, these behaviour traits are necessary at all levels of relationships. Aren't they? I've just said, in our marriages, in our family life, in our friendships, in our workplaces and in our churches we need to be kind to one another we need to put one another first humble we need to be patient just hold your tongue don't say it and here's the big one I think we need to forgive we need to forgive and I have had a sense preparing this sermon that this could be breakthrough for a handful of people today there is healing for your situations. There's healing for your relationships if you will step into these things and perhaps particularly forgiveness. See, these things are like the oil in an engine. They just keep the thing smoothly running. Without it, it's a bit clanky, and, and it's likely, you know, there's likely to be a ma- major malfunction. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. When I hear some people talk about. So, have you seen such and such lately? You know, you used to go on well with them, didn't you? Have you Have you talked to them lately? And they go, no, I haven't heard from them. And when you dig, there's like something's come in, some fracture, and it is, it's, it's about nothing. But pride has come in. Probably pride has come in. And we've decided, I'm not backing down. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, they can make them, I'll, I'll forgive them, but they can make the first move. Whoa. That may be not what what the Lord wants. I'm just astounded, literally, that that there are these relationships that are so tragically, sadly fractured over nothing. It can be healed with forgiveness. What are the blessings of this? Very quickly, well, this has an an evangelistic purpose. Jesus said "He's praise." that they may be one as we are one, John 17, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity as a consequence of it, then the world will know that you sent me. Listen, I believe this with my whole heart. When we demonstrate loving relationships, unity, covering our differences, holding unity and diversity, intention, well, preferring one another, the world will know that you sent me. Because this is not happening in the world. The world does not do relationships very well. We need the Holy Spirit's help. There's an evangelistic purpose. We'll also experience experience pleasure. I wanted to say joy, but it doesn't begin with P. We'll also experience pleasure. How good and pleasant it is. When God's people live together in unity, there's a blessing because of it. But in itself, don't you want to experience joy in your relationships? Don't we want to? Don't we want them to be pleasant? Don't we want to come Sunday by Sunday, week by week, together, coffee, whatever it is, and just go? Do you know? I really love these people. I really love them. There's something about this. It's, it's profound. It touches me at the core of my being, where it's not just. Tim said earlier, we don't just want a service, where it's not just routine, where our Christianity isn't just routine and religion, but it's wonderful, loving relationships that just energise us. I've come to realise my children, family, relationships and friendships energise me. That is what fills my tank. Time with friends, time with family fills my tank. God designed these things for that. But loving relationships, we experience them so that they fill our tank. We're just a bit buoyant out of these things. So we're to experience pleasure. And I understand relationships. You see, this is why the enemy attacks relationships. Because they're so key. So they they can be the place of our greatest hurts. But they're meant to be the place of our greatest joy. So it's important we work at these. It's why, it's thinking about it. It's why over the years we've done these courses on relationships, on marriage, on parenting. And life groups, of course, are the testing ground for this. Because there's diversity. We don't choose life groups with friends. You know, hopefully they become friends, but it's not like we don't set up these cliques. We're called to love people who are different. And I think life groups have a tremendous potential for demonstrating to the world different people coming together loving one another okay we're going into communion now and it just so naturally leads off the back of what i said here you see god has instituted instituted in the local church an examining practice designed to make us look at ourselves and especially perhaps our relationships That's a big part of why we take communion. Let me explain that. See, communion explained in 1 Corinthians 11. And in that chapter, Paul says that the problem in Corinth, you see, part of why he taught on this was the problem was disunity. That was the context he spoke into. Yes, we're to remember Christ for all the benefits, but it's also the the healing for our disunity, so Paul says, "In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. What's Paul saying here? Well, I think he finds here a church that's perhaps not willing to address the issue of disunity, It's not willing to work on its relationships. And he says, your meetings do more harm than good. Just think about that. He's effectively saying to a church, do you know what, guys? It would be better if you didn't turn up this morning. What an indictment. Your meetings do more harm than good. You get on so badly that your meetings do more harm than good. It's part of the issue here, hypocrisy that they're just carrying on as as if nothing's wrong. They're still coming together, pretending, pretending, pretending. Well, let me tell you, the world has enough hypocrisy in it without the church adding to that. If we want to change situations like that and heal relational breakdown, there is a remedy. And it's the cross represented here this morning by these emblems. Paul says, verses 28-29, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. If we don't own the issues we have in relationships, the divisions we have in our relationships, in our, maybe in our marriages, maybe in our families, maybe in friendships, if we don't own those, I think we drink in an unworthy manner. I'm not saying, you know, there are, there are times when we just go through difficulties, but we work on it. What, what we're talking about here is when we just, we just say, I'm, I'm just not going to work at it. I'm going to turn a blind eye. I'm just going to let that one go. And let me tell you, I've come across too many situations in marriages, families, where people haven't addressed this, where they've, they've just thought somehow it will get better, and it doesn't. We've got to attend to our relationships. Otherwise we drink in an unworthy manner because if we're not forgiving of others when Christ forgave us, well that's unworthy to then take these emblems because Christ forgave us through the cross. We have to forgive others. We have to forgive others. So I want to encourage us this morning to come to the cross to ask forgiveness for ourselves to forgive others and to resolve to rebuild relationships accepting that none of us you see are pure white we're all as bad as each other we all say stupid things we all upset one another so let's not let's not reckon necessarily that it's their fault now sometimes that is the case sometimes somebody majorly steps out of line but we're not talking about that let's forgive one another accepting that we're all only human and none of us come pristine and white so we're going to come to the table now and I've got a couple of prayers I want us to pray and firstly we're going to ask the Lord so just be looking at this as I'm saying this Firstly, we're just going to ask the Lord to show us, have we got any issues with anyone? Holy Spirit, have we got any issues with anyone? So we're going to pray and ask the Spirit to show us, are we not forgiving someone else or do we think we've upset them? Because I want to encourage us, even if we don't put it right immediately, that we resolve to put it right. So you might drink and eat here knowing that there's something you need to do relationally. But what you can do here and now is this. Resolve before the Lord to put it right. Resolve. You're going to say something. I'm going to go and apologise or I'm going to forgive someone else or whatever. So why don't we pray this together? If you're happy to, let's pray this together. What then follows is There's a prayer that we can pray silently in our hearts and ask the Spirit to show us individuals who may have hurt us and to forgive them. Now, I understand that in a room this size, there will be some of us for whom this goes very deep and maybe has been around for decades. Now, it may be God gives you grace in this moment to to forgive in that way. But for some of us, this may require follow-up. You may have a sense that as you've been here, you're aware you're gonna drink and eat this morning and forgive that person as best you can in this moment, but you're aware, actually, I probably need to talk about this. Probably need to unpack this a little bit and understand better the harm my lack of forgiveness is doing, or whatever. So if that's the case, do come and chat with myself or your life group leader, and, and we can we can sort you out. There's a uh, pastoral Care Team here at Beck, care at beckchurch.org.uk. This should be an insight. You can email in and say, "I'd just like to talk about this." We we're talking about forgiveness. I think I need to talk about it. But certainly, you know, every day or weekly or even monthly, forgiveness issues we can resolve this morning. So let's pray this together, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the riches of your kindness forbearance and patience knowing that your kindness has led me to repentance i confess that i have not always extended that same patience and kindness toward others who have offended me but instead i have harbored bitterness and resentment i pray that you would bring to mind those people whom i have not forgiven in order that i may do so I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.